0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: So you don't, don't shun the, the devil, devil, devil with your rock, rock and roll, Lord knows that load country music's gonna save your soul. The oh. devil oh. runs his groove. When I asked Damon to pick up some Mexican takeout, I meant tacos or tortas. Not another episode of Agave Road Trip, but since it's here, let's roll. Look, Chava, a check from La Luna Mezcal de Michoacan. Wow, Lou, what are we going to do with that? We're going to strap ourselves in for another episode of Agave Road Trip, brought to you by La Luna Mezcal de Michoacan.
2: I am Lou Bank. I am Salvador Periban, better called Chava.
1: <laughs> and this <laughs> is Agave Road Trip. On today's Agave Road Trip, we're going to talk about distillation. Yes, probably the part where we have. Well, I have more experience. Oh, I've got. Well, actually, that's not true. I started a distillery. What am I thinking? You do have experience with that. I got a little yeah, experience yeah, yeah. with it. Um, and it's sort of actually what amazed me, it's the thing that opened my eyes to something different going on when I visited Oaxaca the second time. It was the first time the second time I visited in twenty two thousand nine was the first time I visited a Palenque. And what was it? Well, it's about desolation that caught your eye. Well, okay, so I thought all distillation took place in one of these giant pot stills or something even more industrial. Right? Like the ones you were working with at the distillery. Yeah, okay. When I set up the distillery at Rogue Ales in Oregon back in 2002, I thought we were working with really old equipment because it was this, <laughs> right, it was this <laughs> copper still that, that I'm pretty sure was gas heated. It certainly wasn't wood heated. It might've been electric. I honestly don't remember. Um, but then I walked into uh, Lalo's uh, Palenque, Eduardo Anales's Palenque in Santa Catarina Minas, and I'm looking at what I thought could be described as a uh, a, a brick oven for pizza, with a chimenea, a backyard uh, chimenea dropped into the middle of it. And I was like, how the hell did this guy come up with that system for distillation?
2: It is definitely an extravagant look. And a lot of people have traced this back to Korean, Mongolian, Filipinos, like, it uh, makes you want to travel
1: beyond Mexico.
2: It does. It does. It, de- it definitely tells you that people have been distilling stuff
1: for a long time. Alcohol oh. is, is a nice thing to have around, Lou. Yeah. So, okay. Alcohol is a nice thing to have around. And you can, well, what we talked about last uh, last podcast episode was fermenting, where we made the alcohol. Uh, and then distillation is, in essence, the concentration of that alcohol. Yeah. Like, I think, you know,
2: you some you know some people that prefer to drink beer. Mm-hmm. But some people like something a little bit stronger, right? Like whiskey, they,
1: which is like beer without the hops. Exactly.
2: Yeah. And therefore, that's why I think our fellow antique like ancestors decided to come up with a technology that would allow them to separate water from alcohol. Therefore,
1: going for the four ABB typical in beers and all the fermented so and other four, stuff. F- so four percent alcohol by volume. Exactly. To something more like forty percent alcohol or by volume. Fifty-five value. if we're lucky. Or seventy-five. If, if we like puntas, puntas, we'll get into that later. Um, okay, so how do you separate? How do you how do you distill? How do you separate the water from the alcohol to turn it from a four percent alcohol by volume to a forty percent?
2: It's actually a very simple process. Just basically, certain types of alcohols like ethanol, methanol, and other types have a different evaporation temperature a boiling point Boil, a boiling point thank you very much sure. for correcting my spanglish uh, <laughs> and uh, then water so basically you are heating a vessel that has water and alcohol and getting to that point where you're evaporating alcohol and not water and in, then in, making in a nutshell
1: there's still going to yeah, be some water in
2: there yeah absolutely and that's yeah. why it's not 100% ethanol right Right. So yeah, and, and in Mexico, I think they are, are, are the other really interesting thing is they use many types of different vessels. They use the <laughs> clay one you described, they yeah. use copper, they use stainless steel, they use sometimes even wood parts to the alambic. It's just like they're very, very interesting t- types of equipment that they get down there.
1: Huh? And why would they use different ones?
2: Well, you know, I think sometimes practicity, sometimes it's flavor, but I think we have a really nice quote that will sort of Tell us or give us more, more information about this.
1: Is this from Jesus Franco?
2: Yes, it is. From our last trip to La Misteca Alta in <laughs> Buenavista. That was
1: November of 2019. Let's roll the tape.
0: Mi nombre es Jesús Franco Cruz.
1: I'm 32 years old, and I am a mezcal
2: producer. Here, the municipio has four agencias. Where we are right now is called Buenavista Teoso Calco. The other three agencias are called San Jose Río Minas, San Antonio El Progreso, and San Isidro Teosocalco. And all of us, obviously including the municipio, are mezcal producers. Recently, we have shifted from clay pots to stainless steel pots, even if we preserve the clay condenser, because steel is not as fragile as clay, which you can easily break with a piece of lumber or anything else. We've done a couple batches using this new equipment, and we've realized that it helps us work faster and gives us better agave yields.
1: Okay, so thanks for that quote, Jesus. Now, uh, Chava, why would he do that? Right, we we talk a lot about the importance of uh, the importance, the appeal of these traditional methods, and changing from clay to steel. You're you're, you're getting more industrial. So, what's what's he doing? What's Jesus well, doing? Well, you have to consider he's living in the middle of nowhere. How long did it took us to get here or there? Oh my goodness. My recollection is that was almost a day's drive. Like like eight hours. Was it a pleasant drive? I mean the landscapes were beautiful, but it was not a pleasant drive. Parts of it were pleasant. Uh going into the town where it was illegal to have alcohol, that wasn't so pleasant. There was a little fear. We almost, we almost got put into jail. Yeah, 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 like,
2: yeah. We're not very good friends with the Christian authorities that approached us, but <laughs> they let us go. Right. Cheers but, to them. You know, but,
1: but to your point, like, th- there's also this beauty to, besides adhering to tradition, to also just using what you have, what's at hand and what's available. If he wants to replace his clay still... Like if it and the clay still too can break so easily and unexpectedly, you just it can
2: explode.
1: You build too much explodes. pressure. Well,
2: it won't explode, but you build too much pressure in that, and you'll shoot up the top of it, and you lose easily. everything
1: that was in it, and, uh, and the still itself, and the still itself. <laughs> and so, it's going to take you at least a day to replace that still, at least a day, which means you're stopping all your operations. So I think you know some things for others, and to his credit, his juice is amazing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely.
2: So, you know, sometimes tradition, sometimes practicity, each one to their own, as long
1: as they are doing a quality product, I think. Okay, I like that. So there you go, there's distillation in a nutshell. And since we're already talking about uh, the clay pots, um, why don't we uh, cover on our other singular objective, ceramics and clay in Mexico. Oaxaca
2: is probably the place that has the highest diversity of clay making in all Mexico and probably all Latin America. Yeah. It's calculated that more than 200 towns had some type of specific access to clay, be it different types of dirt, different ways to process it,
1: different, not glazes. There's only one community that uses glazes, but there's a lot of diversity in clay. You know, I get so frustrated uh, looking at the ceramics down in, specifically in Oaxaca, And uh, my frustration is I end up in San Bartolo, Coyotepec, and I see these black pots, like they're they're thick and they're awkward, and the black looks like paint to me, and I hear all about these heritage ceramics, but I honestly, the methods, I've only seen what I consider heritage ceramics, either old stuff being sold on the roadside in Oaxaca, and you can find some beautiful 50-year-old pots there, Uh, for next to nothing, or my friends in Wisconsin. I've got a friend, David (laughs) Smith in Wisconsin, right? Who built his own kiln, wood-fired kiln. Um, I'm frustrated. How do I see the good stuff in Mexico? Well, you have to go knock on some doors. I have this
2: really good friend there, Rufina Ruiz Lopez from Atzompa, Santa Maria Mm -hmm. Atzompa. The things she's doing are amazing. And it's new stuff, but with all the heritage, with all that nice influence that makes you wonder where does this come from
1: oh, and oh, but it's
2: harder i get your point because sometimes you go into like these fancy design stores i mean i started go. i started working oaxaca in ceramics
1: yeah and it oh, took
2: me yeah. a while yeah like that's the whole reason why i started living in in oaxaca and it took me a while to a understand where to find it b to look at them and understand what was the good stuff versus the bad stuff and c to know the families you need to know the families that are really good at making it.
1: Okay, interesting. So I'm I'm actually headed back down to Oaxaca uh, in a week, week and a half. Um, so maybe I can stop in at your friends. And that it's is that, just like what twenty minutes north. Yeah, of the, these the days central? it's almost
2: a suburb of, of Oaxaca. Yeah, it's like twenty minutes in the Etla direction.
1: Okay, cool. So that's uh, that'll cover it for uh, for Clay and our other singular objective. Um, so let's wrap up this episode uh, with another segment of Mexico like a pro, our pro tips, and talk about palenque tours. If uh, if I'm headed down to Oaxaca, and I am not comfortable renting a car and driving off on my own with some GPS coordinates, what are my options? Well, there's plenty of I think very
2: decent palenque tours. I myself have not taken a lot of them because I lived there for almost eight years, so mm-hmm. let's say I have privileged access. To the surroundings, but uh, a lot of people that I know, that are just gonna spend their a week, few days. They don't have all the time to making their research to ask to other people. So I think uh, a palenque tour is not a bad idea.
1: Huh. So w- when we're saying Palenque, too, like it suggests distillery, but there's also if you drive towards Santiago Matatlán, the fabric Fabricados. How do you say it? What's that? Factories. How do you say... Fabricas. Fabricas. You'll see fabrica, and whenever I see fabrica, I always assume it's somebody who's not doing things entirely in a traditional way. Or... yeah, or well or right or yeah. with quality or with care. But you know, you you walk up and down the streets of Oaxaca and people will literally stop you and offer to take you to these places. And in my experience, that's not the way to do a tour, that you'll end up at the more commercial places. Do you know anyone you like? Do you do you have any tours that you prefer than uh, others? You know, it's funny. I, I don't know that I can honestly say that there are tours that I prefer because I've never taken a tour. I've always just gone with friends to places. But I have friends who give tours. Um, and there are a lot of them I don't want to I don't want to try to run through them and then forget some of the names while we're recording yeah. you know how I am with that yeah, yeah, yeah. your um, memory
2: it's a famous
1: piece of equipment yeah yeah but what I will do is um, on the website we can post the uh, the contact information for a bunch of different tour companies who I believe will bring you to good places and charge you a fair fee um,
2: yeah and I think the biggest advantage of this is that this has happened to you various times and to me so many times you call the palenquero, you make all the arrangements, you say, yes, you're you sure you're going to be there. They say, yes, you ride for, I ride the car for four hours, you knock the door, there's no one there.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I get that. But honestly, I've never been disappointed. Even in the, the cases where uh, somebody's not there, uh, their neighbor is. Somebody else is in that community making great spirits. And it's sometimes how I end up meeting uh, other Polanqueros under mes- other Mescaleros. I just so, hope you're not sneaking in their houses and stealing their mezcalu. I would always leave money. I'd never steal it. Okay, say that. Yeah. So, so we'll also add, in case you're you're more adventurous, we'll add to the website um uh, the the uh, directions for how you can go and visit on your own if you want to rent a car. Sure. Okay. So that's going to wrap it up for today. And when we come back on the next podcast. Uh, which we'll actually record tomorrow, not today, Uh, we'll talk about barrel aging. Oof. Hasta pronto. Hasta luego. What you just heard was Agave Road Trip. And you can keep hearing Agave Road Trip for the first eight episodes on the Speakeasy. But what are they going to do after that, Chava? They'll have to come and hunt us down at
2: agaveroadtrip.com or subscribe wherever they listen to their podcast for our magnificent upcoming season
1: 2.
2: Agave Road Trip is brought to you by La Luna Mezcal
1: de Michoacán. Take it over, Lou. So I got to say, like, it's it's hard for me to accept a uh, a check from a brand of Mezcal. And I wouldn't do it from just any brand, but I really like everything that La Luna Mezcal produces. So in particular, I am so taken with their Tequilana. It feels to me like this is the missing link between tequila and and mezcal. It's a certified mezcal made in Michoacan, but it's made in a traditional method, the same way that all of these beautiful mezcals are made. So they've taken this process that has basically disappeared from Jalisco, from the tequila region, um, and they've brought this heritage back. And they brought it back in this bottle that I think anybody who's a fan of tequila is going to want to try Thanks very much, La Luna, for supporting us, and catch you next road trip. Many thanks to Lou Bank and Chava Periban for bringing us this special presentation of Agave Road Trip on The Speakeasy. You can listen to all of Season 1 right now. Agave Road Trip is available on heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you get your podcasts. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter.